All right, we're doing a bit of an improv uh, podcast here, uh, positive reinforcement. For all your car needs, car radio, uh, at home radio, I don't know, maybe you're like playing World of Warcraft and you're grinding some quests, or uh, I don't know, maybe you're watching a YouTube video while you're listening to something. I don't know. I don't care what the reason is. Um, I'm just recording a bit of a podcast here and I'll talk through some of the Overwatch League stuff that went down um, this past week. Uh, basically, what's going on is uh, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. I'm recording this the night of 24th. So just got done with the Mrs. Madness yesterday. Um, but I'm going on vacation tomorrow on Monday when this comes out. And so I'm not going to be able to be on Platchat. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a Platchat this up- upcoming week because it's just such a mess with the um, the travel and time zone difference um, and all of that stuff going on right now. Um, like, I don't know the exact date that the Valorant guys are flying home. Um, and they're obviously in Copenhagen, so the time zone difference is um, pretty crazy. Um, I did try to get some people together for this Sunday, like today. Um, but basically, like, everyone's just exhausted. Like, everyone's just tired, spending time with their um, significant others. Um and they just don't want to talk Overwatch for like the eighth day straight. Um, you know, so people are tired, you know, they worked all week. Um, so I couldn't get people together, which is very understandable. Um, and, you know, hopefully they'll get together and, you know, maybe do a podcast or something um, later this week. But I won't be on it anyway. So I figured I'd just record something quick and just give my thoughts on what went down last week. Um, you know, even, even before Platchat was a thing... I did, you know, positive reinforcements as a podcast after I got laid off in 2019. Um, basically started as a result of I felt I had things to say. I had analysis I wanted to share. Uh, and, you know, just like opinions to share. So it's just like back to the roots uh, for a one-off kind of episode, I suppose, because I feel like I have a lot of thoughts uh, after the past tournament. And I just wanted to get them out there. Um, and maybe people will find it entertaining for their um, for whatever they're up to. Um so yeah, I mean, the mid Madness was essentially like the best Overwatch League tournament ever. Um, that's the big picture message. Like, I was on air and I tried to go through all the seasons in my head, um, all the tournaments. Um, it's 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 a bit difficult because you can't really compare the mid-season madness to, you know, stage two of 2018. Like, that doesn't really make sense because, what, 2018, um, the second stage... There were like four matches, three matches even. It was London Spitfire against Philadelphia Fusion, and then the New York Excelsior uh, reverse sweeping the Philadelphia Fusion. So I guess I just um, <laughs> randomly just gave Fusion fans uh, a flashback to the past again. Um, but basically, that, that was like a sick tournament, if I remember correctly. Obviously, five maps between London and Philadelphia, but then New York Excelsior reverse swept Philadelphia Fusion in the actual stage finals as well, uh, which I called, by the way, on the desk. Um, so you can't really compare the mid-season madness to, you know, stage two of that because there was just such a match difference, not the same format at all. Um, I guess you'd have to compare the mid-season madness to like an actual playoffs. Um, and even if you go back in like playoffs, like there are so many playoffs we've had where like the meta has changed in the middle of it. Um, 2019, we had goats obviously, and then it shifted to like double shield or something. I can't remember. It was like Orisa, Reaper, it was like Bastion, stuff like that. Um, Strikers Bastion moment on Akimalde. But, um, yeah, like all of these playoffs, they have some kind of flaw in them. Season one, obviously, like huge meta shift as well. Um, they, we had the, uh, like 
flex support playing Tracer sometimes, which like like do people even remember that? That was actually crazy. Um, twenty twenty, the top four went to APAC, and I was essentially up at four a.m. So maybe that affected how I felt about that tournament. But I was well, like working, you know, two a.m. to seven a.m. It was actually bonkers in the middle of COVID. So I don't feel like I was in the right place mentally to really enjoy the twenty twenty playoffs either. Uh, but if I recall correctly, um, it was not at all like the same kind of you know mood as the midseason madness. You had Washington, I think, disappointed a bit after. No, 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 they made a run. Washington made a run in twenty twenty. But anyway, the point is like all these playoffs, they have some kind of flow in them. Whereas the midseason madness was just epic through and through. I don't think I have like any major complaint at all about the midseason madness. And going into it, everyone was raving about uh, obviously the player setup which was unacceptable at the time where we had these two desks like face to face against each other and like obviously it was too close to move them apart and it seemed to be a pretty viable solution and it actually yielded us a lot of great moments the the players being in the same room and of course it's a one-off because we don't want this forever but them interacting with each other for example the finals like ladders against shock in the upper bracket just emoting talking to each other giving each other the finger like that was really entertaining and it was like an element of the broadcast that i wasn't really prepared to enjoy but it obviously turned out really well and it was like complimentary fun content so that was just like an added element that made the tournament really entertaining to watch i wish of course that the eastern teams would have been there so we could have had that for all the matches you know like maybe profit and lastro could have had like a bird one-off or something you know Profit was the original bird giver in 2018. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's pictures. So, yeah. I guess the main flaws of the tournament. Do I really want to go into flaws? To, like, straight off the bat? Yeah, um, yeah. okay, let's do it. Why not? Because I have so many good things to talk about. Um, you know, it was, it, it was the best Overwatch League tournament ever. At the same time, it was like a band-aid solution to go to Hawaii last minute again. Because, obviously, China had huge COVID issues at the start of the year. And um, that affected, you know, the Chinese team's ability to travel. And so they made this call. It was a tough call. But at the end of the day, I guess it worked out. But, you know, it's it's hard, right? Because then, like, the day after, you have Valorant um, doing, like, you know, their Masters finals in an arena in Copenhagen, Denmark, with, like, a live audience. And that's pretty sick too. Um, and that's, you know, what... It, it, you know, a live audience. You, it, it's hard to compete with that if you don't have it, right? And, you know, Overwatch League is a very unique league in that regard. In that we have global teams. And, um, you know, the Chinese teams um, in this scenario are very, like, integral to the league in that way. And so you can't just be like, yep, yeah, uh, sorry guys, uh, your problem. Because it's near, not really like their problem. It's it's the league's problem in that regard. And so I guess the league is doing everything they can to try to come up with the best scenario possible. And in this scenario, it was a why again. And it worked out this time. Um, but I think we're all rooting for, everyone involved are rooting for, that this is not, um, you know, the future solution to all of our problems. It's just doing this um, Hawaii thing again. But uh, all in all, a great tournament. So um, I'm, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Um, because it was very entertaining. It was very memorable. Certainly a lot of good memories. I'll remember this tournament for a long time. Um, so let's dig into why, um, I guess that will be. So 
I mean, where do you start? Like, let's just start with the finals. I'm just going to start with the finals and then, like, go backwards. Um, I'm glad the Shock got two maps, at least. Because this was about to be another 4-0 finals. Uh, but the San Francisco Shock, they claw their way back on New Queen Street, um, on Lee Jang Tower, Force Dorado. They, in my opinion, should have won Dorado. Like, Shock actually, like, choked in the end. Um, and I'm not just talking about the C9 at the end, but also if you go back and watch on point A, I, I made like a huge groan in the truck because Kilo, he like missed his grapple on point A and like fell down. And at the same time as that, something else awkward happened. I can't remember what it was. It was like maybe like there was another mistake involved. Maybe it was Kilo did two mistakes, but Kilo failed the grapple, which meant he got, he, he died and couldn't, uh, like have supplementary fire. And also, there was another mistake involved. Maybe it was proper getting picked, something with the backline. I can't exactly remember. But there were two mistakes on point A. Then you lose another fight on point B, and then the C9. So, in my opinion, like, shock, they they, they choked in the end. They were in a great position to win the Roto, but they didn't. You force map 7. I'm not exactly sure. I think it was a hybrid coming up next, which could have been King's Row or Midtown, I suppose. Which are, you know, I, I, I don't think shock is, like, amazing at either of those. Um... Whereas the gladiators have proven that they are. So who, who knows where they've already gone. You know, you got momentum. You won three maps in a row if you force map seven. So who knows? You know, hindsight, 2020, whatever. But I'm glad that Shock at least get two maps. And Li Jang Tower was just like even was just like an amazing ride. With seeing Sam go over to the Torbjorn. Uh, countering Patipan. Being, uh, flexing to the Sombra. Which turned out to be a bit of a weak point for the gladiators. I think Shock was looking for Patipan to swap to Sombra. And then... The, uh, the Torbjorn was a counterpick, and then Paripan was on Sojourn, whatever. Um, it was the same thing on New Queen Street. Like, as soon as Paripan goes Sombra, it's, like, hard to... It, it's hard to get ahead playing Sombra. Um, and not just play, like, reactionary. Um, which I guess is, you know... You get what I mean. Sombra, not the greatest of heroes. But at the same time, it's hard to find, like, a different hero to play in Sombra's stead that's actually, like, useful. So there's a bit of a dilemma there. Like, do you do you force the Sombra and try to make it work, or do you stick on another hero that's not really viable against what Choker playing? So hard to say. Uh, don't re don't really have a solution for you. But uh, it's it felt like Shock were looking for that Sombra matchup, and when they got it, they capitalized. So good on them. Proper on leading tower, uh, just absolutely crazy as well. There was a very memorable moment when Proper and Kevster had like a tracer off. Um, on like the the white room health pack and proper was like 20 hp or something and he looked for the mini and he got it but then kevster continued to chase and proper blinked over to the mega and then got kevster again um i would i, I would just love to see like that animated by someone it honestly looked like a ballerina kind of dance or something it, it, it was like a dance between kevster and proper it it happened and it just like looked magical like two tracers battling each other, blinking around, and proper wasn't supposed to win it, but he did because of his blink management and because he got those packs, and it was just beautiful to watch. Gets Kevster, goes back into the fight. Um, that was really mesmerizing. So there's definitely like some standout moments um, in this finals as well. Ans had like an incredible game, like an incredible series. I think that Ans so far this year, I don't want to say it's been disappointing, but like you compare that to like the highlights of someone like Kai, MN3 even, on um, Circuit Real, uh, Kilo, uh, there was one more player, Lip, uh, on the Shanghai Dragons. Like, I don't think Ans has really lived up to that upper elite 
Widowmaker plays so far this season, and to see him just like catch fire at the exact right time in the grand final of the midseason madness was just absolutely bonkers. Like really, um, Gibraltar first, and then also um, on Dorado. It it's it's such a great story as well. Like really, I th I think everyone roots for Hans. Um, he gained a lot of fans in 2020 with his incredible performance throughout the season. But then also, you know, his, his personal battles. And I, I'm, I'm really happy to just see him, like, succeed and pop off like that. Um, I think it makes everyone a little bit happier. So, good announce. Popped off at the right moment. Uh, let's talk about Shu for a bit. You know, it's very hard to, obviously, do analysis on a desk these days. We don't have a Telestrator. Um, you know, it's limited time. I'm sure people at this stage, like, they, they, they know. It's hard to, like provide incredibly detailed um, analysis that way it used to be in like the blizzard arena we had like way different tools and we also had like this sponsored segment right where you had to like telestrate um almost like every game break we had one telestration it was sponsored by someone we don't have that anymore we also don't have the tool that allows you to like draw on replays and stuff like that anymore uh because obviously if you're in an arena and you have production, like literally the next door, the way you connect all those like uh, video feeds into like uh, a pen tool and then back into the production stream, like it's just way easier to do that if everything's local. But if you have to do that online in a setup and a drug, like that's way harder to pull off. So um, it's just a technological nightmare, and then you don't have the you know the, the sponsorship either. So we don't, we don't have that telestration tool available. So that obviously limits our ability to do like map overheads, drawing stuff like that. If I want to do a telestration at some point, like I honestly you know have to come home after a long day of broadcasting and like pull up the vod myself and then record it in OBS, draw like on top of it, and then upload it to Google Drive and then send it. And I mean that's like. You know, that could be like an hour to 90 minutes um, of just finding like the right angles and like finding, if, especially if you're finding like multiple moments to, um, to, uh, not verify, but, 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 you know, make the point that like this happens multiple times and this is something that, you know, I want to make the viewer aware of. Like just finding like multiple clips for that. It's it's just incredibly time consuming, and especially considering the commute to the Blizzard campus I have now, which is like, you know, probably at least an hour um, every day to Blizzard campus, and then you know there's traffic and stuff involved as well. So you know, it could be like you know between one to one thirty, one forty five, I'd say. Like the the first thing I don't want to do is just like sit down at my computer and just like pull up the vod and start drawing stuff and then send it and you know all that stuff like it's just way too time consuming and you know i'd rather just you know spend time with my fiance and my dog after a long day of working so it, it just it just makes the preparation uh, a lot more um complicated as well going into the game breaks themselves so that's obviously unfortunate and it does limit your ab uh, ability to provide like great um analysis um you know with with the tools we have available obviously you have like the stat cards which can you know confirm a point we're trying to make um like objectively with stats um and you can read into those numbers and we try to provide a perspective or context around those numbers that back up our point and you know perhaps send some message of why this is good or why this is bad um this week i you know i really pushed myself as well to try to put together some like highlight compilations um 
uh, to try to make a point about like minor things in game that happened. So, for example, uh, this is where I start talking about Chu, like five minutes afterwards. Um, where Shu's bio, uh, biotic grenades against Atlanta Rain were just like incredibly impactful. Like, they were just so good. Um, and it was the main reason, in my opinion, why they beat the Atlanta Rain. Obviously, Kevster had like a monster series, especially on Ilios. He didn't die on Ilios. Um, and winning that Tracer matchup really helped the Gladius set the tempo um, and shut down all possible dives and flanks and stuff like that. But the secondary thing that I pointed out on the broadcast was that the LA Gladius felt like they were purposely trying to target Hawk uh, on the Doomfist. Because Doomfist is a very, you know, exposed target, considering you don't have a shield. Um, but they were targeting him with biotic grenades themselves, sleep darts, and stuff like that. And it really, like, set the Atlanta Rain on the back foot. Where Atlanta Rain, whenever they did try to, like, nano-hawk and dive in... Um, well, either Venom is getting shut down in the Tracer Duel, and he can't gain ground, and he can't dive in from, like, an angle, because Kevster's there. Or, Hawk is getting... Bionated, Hawk is getting slept, and so the front line is deteriorated, and so they always have to like they always get like staggered, or they have to wait off for like five seconds for that effect to like deteriorate or uh, disappear. Um, and so the LA Gladiators, they were just like they 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 had the tempo like the entire time, and they were always in control of that series. Um, I feel like on King's Row, obviously that dynamics changed, and I pointed this out as well because Hawk was playing the Sigma, you can absorb the bio grenades. Um, you can shield them off, um, and there were even a couple of moments where, like, Hawk did, like, purposely absorb the biotic grenades, and, um, you know, like, understanding that that was a thing. Like, even when I was a pro, you had to keep, like, biotic grenades um, in mind, that that cooldown was, like, a thing you had to take care of. So, I don't think it's a thing where just, like, Hawk just, like, oh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, what Anana does. It's like, no, no, no way. It's just, like, Shu is incredibly good at it, and Ellie Gladys had, like, tactfully... Um, strategized to shut down Hawk down and they targeted him a lot and it was very noticeable in my opinion. So uh props to Shu for that. Um obviously a great tournament overall. So uh that was very nice to watch. And then Custa made the point as well that Shock they do play a lot of Diva, which Diva is another character that can eat butter grenades with the defense matrix, stuff like that. And um that gave them uh you know a bit of an advantage early on in the tournament. So it was like an incredibly strategically um fun um tournament because of that because you have these teams like executing different styles like shock brought the diva into the mix for example playing kilo and the ash i thought i i i, I just thought that seeing them do that and be successful with it but then you also have la gladius who almost like looked best at times when funny astro was in the lineup with lucio um that was so much fun to watch and then you have a spark popping off with shy just funneling resources into shy and him popping off like there were so many like smaller aspects to the compositional ver uh, variance and um, game planning that just made every matchup like a little bit more interesting so that definitely helped but then also all the matches like were essentially close um there were so many three twos so many three ones um as we got down to it like the last few days um, that it was just real entertaining to um, to follow all that action and follow all those small little details. Um, so yeah, um, I'll talk a bit more about awards uh, later. I'll go down the the, the bracket again. Uh, props to the Atlanta Rain for um, making top three again. It's you know even without Hunter, they are still like really this good. Um, I, I I think a lot of people last year they're just like. Um, 
default to like, oh, Atlanta Rain, they were so good last year because Hunter was part of the team and he was the core of that team and his strategic brilliance and like he helped out and like, yeah, um, you know, obviously like the players like respect him a ton. They made sure to like make it, make everyone aware that like they have a lot of respect for Hunter and his work. Um, but I, I still think it's impressive that Atlanta Rain, they continue this year to be so good in tournaments without him. Um, and I think that speaks to a broader point about like, you know, the management, um, Brad, for example, um, and Danny, who's on that roster as well, assistant coach, um, and the entire like player core and the vibe and the environment they have going there. Um, I don't think you can credit one single person. Um, I, I, I think you have to give Atlanta Reign a lot of respect as a whole for continuing to be so consistently good in tournaments. Um, and I think sometimes we just kind of like take it for granted. Uh, Atlanta Reign is a really good team when it comes to tournaments. Um, and they just continue to make these slow bracket runs. So that was impressive. Venom had a bit of a breakout tournament. I enjoyed seeing that. Venom obviously got a lot of hype going into the tournament. I think Brad said in an interview something that he had Tracer. And I think he said he had the Sombra at the time. Like he could play the Sombra at a good level. Or he was like working on the Sombra. I can't recall which one it was. It was like a few months ago. So uh, excuse the missing detail. But the Atlanta Rain anyway. Um, yeah, good to see Venom pop off. Uh that well ultraviolet as well i think ultraviolet came in clutch so many times with the biotic grenades the sleep darts um really like an impact level uh, impact player in that regard so the atlanta rain good on them making top three philadelphia fusion made a bit of a miracle run honestly you know getting top four i don't think a lot of people predicted a fusion top four going into it obviously they beat soul going into the tournament but then like they lost to the hangtro spark 3-1 in the opening round and suddenly people are like whoa uh, are fusion good uh what's going on here so i don't think you know if you're a fusion fan and you're just like well i expected fusion to make top four because you know m3 was good versus all like good on you all right you know run with that narrative be proud of yourself but i think you know a lot of neutral viewers i don't think they considered philadelphia fusion to be like elite going into the tournament i don't think a lot of people expected them to be great going into the tournament so in that regard i do think they positively surprised now one could say that the only team they really beat were hangzhou spark you know, I think they were favored against the Florida Mayhem. I think maybe they were favored against Dallas Fuel. Do I even want to talk about Dallas Fuel later? But, um, yeah, I mean, the Philadelphia Fusion, the beat Tanktro Spark 3-2 on the back of Fix Us Miracle Sleep Dart on New Queen Street where Shy was not owed. Uh, Bernard's grab, we don't talk about that. Um, and so, I mean, that was just a crazy series overall, right? And then it ended on Legion Tower with uh, Belosria's Wrecking Ball. Great minefield to end off the game in overtime. Hunter uh, Spark couldn't compete. Um, overall, I was, like, really impressed by Belosria's Wrecking Ball. Like, really. They stuck to it a little bit too much. Like, there was one moment where they played it on Gibraltar. I think it was against... It was not against Hunter. Was it against Florida? Yeah, they like got held on point B, playing ball versus Florida, and I was just like, "You guys, are are you guys good? Like, how are how are you guys still playing wrecking ball on point B, Gibraltar? Um, if you're like the best, you know, if you get you can carry on momentum like from point A to point B and play wrecking ball, and that's fine. But I don't really like the wrecking ball as much because I think that Gibraltar is a pretty straight point B. It's a very straightforward kind of like point." You know, the, the offense starts out with a uh, high ground and low ground option. You can jump the ship um, or jump the bridge. And you pretty much just dive to make room for your Widowmaker. 
um, or you peel for your Widowmaker and then go. Um, and then to force enemy positioning, you have a tracer pressuring the payload, which hopefully draws some attention. And then you can like engage on the back of your tracer, making room for you on the payload. Um, a wrecking ball is kind of just like a supplementary um, space creator in that regard. I feel like it's it's hard to play on that point. Um, you know, you can distract, um, you can engage for a few seconds at a time, and maybe make some kind of room that way. But I feel like the tracer is already doing. It's already such a good character at you know pressuring payload. And trying to be a bit of a nuisance that playing Wrecky Ball only like it doesn't really duplicate, um, duplicate that uh, that effectiveness. It, it's there's kind of like some diminishing returns in that regard, like playing Tracer Wrecking Ball. So I was just like, I'd rather you guys just play Winston on Point B Gibraltar because it's pretty straightforward. Um, you have you can you can dive in towards the ship. You can put your shield down, get pocketed within the shield, and that buys at least a few seconds. Uh, for your backline and your Widowmaker. Um, if you want to peel, you can put it down a shield for your Widowmaker or your backline. And Winston in that way is just like a way more like... I don't want to say one-dimensional, two-dimensional. Um, and I, I, I think for that point, that, that's just preferable to me. So I would have liked Bellasria to play Winston there. But other than that, I think Bellasria was like, like a really good ball. The tech was nice. Um, his grapples were nice. The, the way he navigated around the map, he was very effective. The minefields were good. You know, I don't, I don't have all the ball pairs like on the top of my head, but it looked like a top five in the league ball performance. Um, you know, I'd have to put way more time into that to making that an official top five list because otherwise people are just gonna lose their minds. But you know, on the back of my head, it's like what, you know, fate playing breaking ball. Um, I think fearless has a ball. You know, the times I've seen fearless play ball, it's actually been all right. He obviously. Put a lot of time and effort into improving his uh, wrecking ball last year going into the playoffs and i think that practice time worked out for fearless uh, there were times fearless has brought out wrecking ball this season where i'm like this is a good ball like this is a good wrecking ball um and in many ways maybe i would have liked to see more of that this stage uh but maybe maybe i'm wrong about that who knows uh those are just like some thoughts i remember about fearless wrecking ball the times i've seen it this season um i don't have a stats lab so i can't check the stats um i don't know what's going on with that so um, otherwise, I would have looked into breaking ball stats before saying that. But that's just anecdotal. Um, I, 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 I judgment. I don't know. Um, Hangzhou Spark. I mean, the most entertaining team in in the tournament. That's why I just rooted for them. Like, how how stupid is it? How stupid is it that these guys could just nano shy? And he goes in with an overclock, supply him with armor packs, and maybe rallies, and just, like, pave the way for him. And he just pops off, and it's like, 3-4 case. I've never seen anything like that in my entire time in Overwatch since 2016. Like, that was just absolutely ridiculous. He consistently deadlifted. Like, consistently deadlifted, almost, like, effortly. Like, he just, like, got resources, slid in aggressively, one versus four, and just, like, racked up the frags. It was hilarious to watch. Um... So that that just made me feel good. That was very fun to watch, and I, I and that's why I kind of rooted for the spark. Um, this tournament, I just wanted to see more of that. I just couldn't get enough of that, dude. If you if you just made like a 10, 12 hour compilation of just shy getting non boosted and sliding in, I just like I'd watch that in a single sitting. Um, <laughs> it was just so so stupid. It was just st so stupid. Um. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Shy um, in that regard. And Alpha Yi as well. Alpha Yi had a bit of a breakout tournament too. 
Um, obviously, we knew that Alfie was great before, but like the way he took it to some of the best tracers around the league, I think a lot of people, you know, might get upset that I'm saying that so many people have breakout tournaments. But I'm also like, you know, shining the spotlight on those guys. Um, you know, it's like one player per team, maybe. Um, most of them are rookies. Um, so I just wanted to highlight their performance that I was impressed by some of these newer players in the league um, and give them some credit. Um, another one was Checkmate from the Florida Mayhem. Um, I think he had a good tournament as well. Uh, playing Tracer, got a lot of value, had good pulse bombs, um, which uh, is something that is obviously very rewarding. Uh, Florida Mayhem, after all, they lose 3-2 to the Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, but, you know, should be very happy with that performance. I think Florida Mayhem, you know, we joked about it at broadcast that they're Florida Midhem because they didn't beat anyone good and they didn't lose to anyone bad. But, you know, it was really a performance to build on, so I'm looking forward to see more of the Florida Mayhem. I'm going to pull up, actually, real quick to see who Florida Mayhem is playing. Because um, I really do think that they could take it to, like, some mid-teams. Um, now, obviously, we don't know what the meta is going to be. I, I, I read some Reddit comment today that apparently the meta is, like, double main supporting contenders, which sounds wild. Like, Lucio Bap, but I guess you just brawl with Junker Queen. Which, by the way, very expected, and it was the first thing I said on Plat Chat. Um, when Junker Queen abilities were like announced and we played it a bit, just like this this commanding shout, whatever thing is stupid. Um, but they're playing Lone of Spitfire, Washington Justice, San Francisco Shock, Dallas Fuel, Paris Eternal, New York Excelsior. So beat New York, beat New York, beat Paris, could beat Washington, could beat London. Um, yeah, I mean, you're looking at like a 3 3, best case scenario, like a 4 2 stage. Um, for the Florida Mayhem. I say best case. Best case is like 5-1. You beat Dallas Field 2. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and that's good improvement for Florida Mayhem. So, uh, liking what I'm seeing from that team. It feels like they're consistently improving. They have a good foundation. Um, so, yeah. Keep it up. Uh, Florida Mayhem. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, don't really want to talk about a few of these teams. Dallas Fuel was obviously disappointing. The fact that they lost to the Shanghai 3-0 and then got 3-1 by the Philadelphia Fusion just didn't seem like their tournament from start to finish, really. Which, you know, not great for me because I was one who was like, yeah, they'll continue to be good this season. But, uh, yeah. Not great. Uh, doesn't really seem like they've figured out their damage rotation, you know, between Gurio, Edison, Sparkle. Don't think we've seen a lot of Doha this year either. I think we've seen, seen Doha, like, very sparsely. I think Over.GG had some issues with um with player tracking on certain maps. So, I, I you know, it's not 100% quotable. But, yeah, he didn't even play this stage, it says. So, who knows? Uh, but, yeah, that's disappointing. Because, you know, if Dallas Fuel had been, like, elite this tournament too, um, not, not even, like, top three, top four, but just, like, had they been, like, a really good opponent, that would have just, like, helped the tournament even more. Because, you know, the 2021 storyline, um, and we know how lethal they can be. I just wish they would have lived up to the reputation a bit. It would have just made the tournament even better. But that would have prevented the Philadelphia Fusion run. So, who knows? Uh, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I think I went over most of the teams. Soul Dynasty, obviously very disappointing as well. Got 3 0 behind Charles Park. And then lost to Atlanta Rain. 3-2 as well. Huge clutch by Atlanta. Um, 
yeah, that was a bit disappointing. I guess there is a point to make as well. I made it many times that like tanking tank flexibility is like so important in the Overwatch League these days. It's so evident that teams who struggle to play uh, play a tank that can play both off tanks and main tanks, it's really hurting their team. Like if you if you can't win a Doomfist matchup and your tank can't go like Soria as a response to opt out of the mirror, like it really hurts your chances. We saw the Houston Outlaws. They be, they beat which map did they win? They they won Midtown versus someone. I can't remember who it was. Uh, they yeah Houston Outlaws. I think they went Piggy went Soria. I think on a Midtown or something like that. And um, it was just like so much better. It was like a saving grace. Oh yeah, it was versus the Gladiators. Houston Outlaws. They went. Um, they played Midtown versus Gladiators. Almost got full held. And then I think like Piggy went sorry or something against Reiner's Doom. And it was just like an injection um, of energy into the entirety of Houston Outlaws. And it just helped them in that matchup so much. And I'm not saying that, you know, because I think all teams should go sorry versus Doom. But in this case, like it really helped Houston Outlaws in the tank flexibility part. But to, you know, make the matchup more comfortable for them. Um, obviously... People have really been making a point this year, and, you know, I agree that it doesn't all just boil down to compositions. It's also about, you know, um, biotic grenade usage and, you know, smaller details, stuff like that, that we rarely touch on for reasons I talked about before. Um, but, you know, I, I think compositions is like the most basic fundamental way to analyze teams sometime. Um, and also with that, there is like an inherent playstyle with certain compositions so like if you play wrecking ball for example that's that's like an inherent different playstyle from playing like reinhardt um and so you know if you're making like big picture analysis um uh, you know i i feel like it's way faster and easier to convey especially during a very short game break segment so um but yeah in, in this case as well i think you know the Saria can really help, for example, in the Doomfist matchup. And so tanks who are not really able to do that, I think we saw Shanghai Dragons and Fate, for example, not being able to do those uh, swaps reliably really hurt them as well. Um, I think Bellosria was another one. Um, Bernard, I think, as well. Uh, these are just like tanks I'm listing off that started playing something they weren't necessarily comfortable playing um, because they felt inclined to in the compositional matchup. And so they were just stuck playing like an inferior pick. Um, and they weren't comfortable on it, but they also couldn't switch because they weren't like that good on the hero. So it was weird. Um, even the Atlanta Rain and the Houston Outlaws, uh, when they played as well, like I think you had Piggy Winston versus Hawk Winston on Dorado. That was just that was just, I mean, hilarious to watch. Um, I think Hawk is one of those tanks who actually like pulls it off pretty well. Um, you know, being able to play so many different heroes, they call him the Jote uh the jack of all tanks which you know it's a pretty apt name but at the same time you know i'm I'm watching piggy and hawk go head to head against each other with winston on the roto um and you know they're doing their best but it's also pretty apparent in that moment um that i think we still have some ways to go when it comes to tanks improving their flexibility and you know rounding out their overwatch 2 skill set compared to overwatch 1 um, there was definitely like a lot of individual mistakes in that map itself on Winston. So, you know, it's not necessarily the player's fault either, but it, there were a couple of moments in this tournament where I was like, it was very evident that the level of play was actually a bit lower than last year. And I think the main reason for that is that the players just don't have access to ranked in the beta 
um, and can't like consistently practice in their off hours. Um, and you can't really enable substitutes as well, um, you know, bench players to practice their heroes um, outside of scrims either. So, you know, it's it's a tough scenario. And I think um, no one's really talked about it, but I think it's led to a lower level of play um, unless you're, you know, like a, a star DPS player that just, you know, in the lineup 100% of the time and you can just like play your hero 100% of the time. Like, yeah, at that point, you know, you're getting the sufficient practice to like stay up to date and even improve. But if you're like a rotational guy and you play like, you know, one or two maps and you have to practice this hero and be really good at it, like you're going to, the level of play is not going to be as good as you grinding Overwatch 1 ranked for like 10 hours a day and then, you know, all that stuff. So... Um, at times it was a bit disappointing, I suppose, um, to see that that was the case. But, you know, hopefully with Ranked, that'll come along, people will improve, and tanks as a whole will become more flexible and uh, pop off in the Overwatch 2 future. Um, I think I think we're just going to catch up to that, you know. It will come with time. In a year, it'll be less of a problem. So, and then at the end of the day, who really cares? Um, okay, so I'm updated... Some updated award season stuff. Um, very difficult. Rookie of the year. I kind of... It's hard, right? I think a lot of people would argue Reiner because they've won two stages. But it's hard, recency bias, yes, I admit, to not say that, like, proper... It sh like, should be a rookie of the year. And some people, they're gonna, you know, roll their eyes. They're gonna be like, we always talk about proper... Blah. But, like, he's such a talent. Like, he's a generational talent. And the shock would not have been in a final. They would not have won an upper bracket final without proper. He's instrumental to the team. And I have a hard time thinking about any other rookie that has as much impact as he has for him and his team. And they're unbeaten in the regular season. And they made the stage finals this this stage, mid-season madness. And I don't think anyone's like Anyone else is like really up there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think Proper is way more instrumental to the San Francisco Shock than Reiner is to the Gladiators, unfortunately. So, you know, on an individual basis, I have to give it to Proper over um, Reiner in this case, I feel like. Um, and, you know, that might change with stage three and stuff. So we'll see. Um, interesting to see how, how long the Shock can continue to just stay unbeaten uh, in the regular season. Um, which I guess, you know, also, you know, the MVP race, it's a little bit harder. Um, people have argued Kevster from the LA Gladiators. I think that's a good shout. Uh, Profit obviously fell off a bit here because of the disappointing performance in the midseason Manus. Definitely hurt his chances. Um, I think you have to give it Kevster by now. Uh, but also, you know, proper, proper is in that debate. I think Proper is like a top three MVP candidate. But I, I, I do feel like the Gladiators, because of their two, two stage titles and Kevster being the best player on that team that he definitely should be um you know leading for now by however much you want um and then you know maybe 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 even chu maybe even chu is in that race too who knows um good stuff so that's a bit of an update coach of the year uh by the way it's christopher um it's it's christopher he, he's coach of the year so far i don't even think that's a bit of a debate um because Lana spitfire just making so much out of nothing really um, and you gotta get him props. It's amazing to see, really. Um, so I think that was pretty much everything I wanted to touch on. This video, or audio rather, is gonna come out on 
Monday the 25th, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to Hawaii, funnily enough. Um, I was supposed to go to Sweden for something. And then, um, because of the travel chaos in Europe, had to cancel that trip. Um, which really sucked. And then we made some plans for something in Hawaii. And then those plans fell through. So I guess now we're just going to Hawaii instead. So, you know, vacation for a few days. That's going to be good. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go for a vacation in a few days. Uh, we'll see if there's a chat episode this week. But if there's not, at least you have this little audio clip to munch on and, you know, enjoy. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. And I'll see you guys uh, for this, uh, the summer showdown. That's what it's called. All right, take care, everyone. Bye.